Well, as the men set up the chairs here, I'm switching mics now to the handheld. I wanted to introduce uh, our speaker this evening. I plan to ask a few questions to Mike Johnston. is a dear, dear friend of mine. He's a pastor up in Oregon. And um, Mike and I first met back in 2012. We were studying together at the Master's Seminary. And we reflected upon it this afternoon, the place where we first met was in a class taught by Lance Quinn. Uh, if you remember on retreat, I mentioned the book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. I said I was introduced to that book in a class called Philosophy of Ministry. It was the same class that I met Mike. He was sat behind me, and I think in our first week, uh, we kind of introduced ourselves to one another. We got to know one another. And that began uh, a long friendship that we've enjoyed over the years. And I think what the Lord gave to us in the Johnston family was a friendship that was unique in that, uh, you know, it's a rare thing when the quality of the friendship between the husbands is equal to that as enjoyed by the wives and the children. And that's exactly what we found with the Johnstons, a family that we just clicked with at every level, and we have enjoyed uh, their friendship for many years. There was a time when we were absolutely persuaded that we would be in ministry together uh, until Christ returned. And we'd even made something of an agreement to that end. We looked at each other and said, here we are, and and this is where we'll be together. And uh, a few months later, maybe a few weeks later, really, I got a text from Mike saying, do you have time for coffee? And I knew immediately what that text meant. It meant we're off. (laughs) And uh, it was appropriate. It was right. It just wasn't our plan. It was the Lord's plan. And the Lord took Mike up to Oregon, where he's from, and he now pastors up there. Uh, Over the years, we've kept in touch. We don't see them as often as we would like. We have been up to them uh, around this time of year for Thanksgiving. We've been up around Christmas, and again, we were laughing this afternoon. Uh, The longest drive of my life uh, was to go and see Mike and Katie. We were going up to Oregon, and uh, Patrick had just been born, so we had just become a family of eight, and he was three weeks old, and we looked on the maps, and it's a 15-hour drive up to be with them, and so we said, we'll split it into two days car journey, and we'll stop in Reading, and so we booked a a room uh, at a hotel in Reading, and And it was a seven-hour drive to get there. It took us 13 hours. (laughs) Because Patrick did not like his car seat that day, and we had to stop. It seemed every 20 minutes. It was the longest drive of my life. Uh, But it was worth it. Uh, But I will say this. The next time we went to see them, we flew. Every few months, Mike and I will talk on the phone normally for a long time, and it's always a blessing to me to connect with him. And every so often, we get to see each other in person, and they were down this way, and so they came to us on Friday, and they're with us till Tuesday. And I wanted to invite him to be with us this evening in the form of a question and answer, especially to share some of the exciting things that have been happening with his church that we'll get to hear about shortly Uh, Please welcome Mike up onto the stage. (laughs) 
Mike, thanks for taking the time to be with us this evening and be willing to answer my questions. Uh, easy one to get started. Um, would you share with us uh, just briefly something of your testimony of salvation, how that you came to know the Lord, and how he brought you to your current place as pastor of the church there up in Gresham? All right. Well, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, my parents were divorced when I was really young, and my mom uh, moved around a lot, unstable and emotionally kind of needy. And so I, I just remember as a child always being in a different place. And um, fast forward, I moved out of my mom's house when I was in junior high because of an addiction that she had that uh, affected our family. And so uh, I ended up moving in with my aunt, and then a couple years later, I moved in with my high school wrestling coach. Um, I was a typical pagan high school kid, and I'll just let you fill in the rest. Um, in the following year, they invited me to a Christian youth camp, and I thought of a thousand reasons why I didn't want to go to a Christian youth camp, um, and I shared with them all these reasons. and. Uh, eventually, one of my best friends decided he was going to go, and so I thought, okay, fine, I'll go to this Christian youth camp. Um, a little backstory: at the time, I was uh, probably at one of the lowest times of my life, emotionally. I was um, ready to end my life. I, I just I thought of that often, and I was very broken inside, but I was one of those guys that could make people laugh, and so, and I was okay at sports, and just one of those kind of guys, but inside I was very broken. And um, all that to say, it was, the, it was the Lord's perfect timing. He broke me and then took me to this place I didn't want to go. And um, I don't remember necessarily a specific message or anything like that, but I do remember uh, at the end of one of the evening services, after we sang and there was a message, the, the youth pastor that was leading the camp said, I want everyone to go find a quiet place and pray. And so here I am, this pagan high school kid. I don't even know how to pray. And I'm walking alone down this gravel road. And my prayer that I remember to this day, which seems very simple, um, but it was genuine, was, God, I don't know if you're real or not. I don't know if you're there or not. But I feel like I've tried everything else in this life, and nothing is working. So if you're there, I'll give you a shot. <laughs> and um, and And... Through the course of the rest of that week, the Lord was very gracious, and it, the lights just came on. I understood a need for repentance. There was a lot of reasons for that in my life. And um, yeah, I, I came back from that youth camp a new creation. And the, just by God's grace, I've kind of just catapulted into, that's all I wanted to do was just talk to people about Christ, be with Christians. I, I shared with Paul this morning as we were driving into church, I said, from the day I got saved, I've wanted to be with God's people. I love going to church. So I'm a pastor on vacation, and my greatest joy this morning was to come to be with you, who I don't even know. Um, but we do miss our own people as well. But all that to say, uh, there was some kind of a season in my life, you know, for, that was 18 years old at that point. The next uh, five or six years, I call my wilderness wanderings, where I had a lot of growing up to do, and um, the Lord gave me a verse early on that just uh, stuck with me, and that the Lord is a father to the fatherless, um, and, and that became so near and dear to me. I just latched onto that, and I, 
ate up anything I could that had to do with the Lord. And um, eventually, I uh, married this beautiful woman on the front row. Uh, I'm trying to speed it up. Sorry, you have other questions, this is right? Great. No, okay. I like this. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we got married in 2005. Um, we, we, I was serving in a church there and um, became an intern, and the church went through a massive church split. It was the church both my wife and I got saved in. It was a very painful experience. All of our friends left the church, um, and we found ourselves sitting in our living room as newlyweds, um, praying and looking at each other and saying, this isn't a reason to leave a church. And so we stayed and it was really that experience, I think, that kind of crystallized in my heart a desire to be a pastor because I saw what happens when there's not strong men in the church. Um, that church that was flourishing at one point when we were going through youth group um, was about 400 people. And over the next couple of years, it dwindled down to about 30 or 40 people. And they eventually gave the building away to another church in town. And so we got to literally watch the Lord remove a lampstand from um, what was a very healthy church at one point, or seemingly. So all of that to say, uh, uh, the Lord just used that to kind of catapult me towards ministry. Other people ran away from the church, and I just wanted to run into it and, and try and do what I could to strengthen and, and be a help. And um, eventually that led us to move down to the Oregon coast where I became a youth pastor and uh, we ended up being there for five years and at the end of that time the Lord moved us on to seminary down in down in LA master's seminary 2012 um, we were a little apprehensive moving to LA we're, we're kind of small town people um, so coming to LA was like going to Mars I don't it just seemed odd to us, but um, it proved to be just the right thing for us and um, got to meet fun people like the Twisses who talk funny. But um, yeah, and then I came on staff during our time there at seminary. Uh, I was the children's pastor for a couple years at Grace. And like Paul said, I, I really did have every intention of just staying there. I thought, this is great. I could do this till Jesus comes back. And, um, and the Lord through his own ways, <laughs> which he has, uh, opened the door for us to move back to Oregon and become a pastor there. And um, so we were sad to go, but we were happy to leave at the same time. And we've been there for just over five years. So 2017, September of 2017. It's been wonderful. Mike, you're married to... Pardon me? Your wife's name? Oh, Katie. You missed that. And then tell us about beautiful. your kids. Yeah, we have four children, um, Britton, Elias, Madison, and Micah. Uh, we had three children when we went to seminary. And um, the Lord, kind of from day one when I became a Christian, because probably of my background and experience, um, the idea and the concept of adoption was very near and dear to me and then to my wife as well once we got married. And so we always wanted to adopt and... Um, when we moved back home to Oregon, we started that process, and now we have Micah, who is at home with Laura, because he's little, uh, and he wouldn't appreciate this. So, <laughs> And Micah's originally from? Oregon. <laughs> oh, Micah. 
Micah is from Korea. I'm like, Paul, we went over this. Uh. It's, it's late for you, <laughs> He's not <Mike>. even listening. <laughs> one, one detail that I would love to pick up on a little bit in your testimony there was the role of your wrestling coach. Just explain that a bit. Yeah, so um, I, I knew that they were Christians. Uh, I didn't necessarily know what that meant, but um, they were... I don't know how to explain it other than to just say they were the first tangible example of like Christian love that I had ever experienced. In fact, briefly, um, the first year I was living there, um, before I had ever gone to camp, before I was a Christian, I was still just this pagan kid. They, they came down to Disneyland with their three young children and they left me home alone at their house, which I think about now and think that wasn't very smart. But um, they were very trusting, and they gave me a couple rules, and I broke one of them pretty severely. And uh, we had I had a couple friends over, and we uh, were inebriated, and there were signs of that. And then um, so he called me because his sister found out, and he called me from Disneyland and said, "We'll talk when I get home." And I just mentally started packing my bags. This is not very long into me living there. And I just thought, well, I messed that up. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to find a place to live. And um, mentally, I just kind of started packing my bags. And so they get home, whatever evening it was, um, get settled in, get the kids to bed, and then, okay, let's sit down at the table and talk. And they asked me what happened. I told them, and they said, well, and I said, so I need to probably move out then, right? And they just kind of like looked at me and said, no, you're our family. And I just started weeping. Because I just, I didn't expect that, and it didn't make sense to me, even as a high school kid, uh, that they would respond that way. I didn't deserve that for sure, and, um, but they just matter-of-factly said, no, you're a part of our family. Of course, you're not going to have to move out. So, very special. We and love you're, them dearly. You're still in touch with yep. them today. Yep. My kids call them grandma and grandpa. Um, they're only like 14 years older than me, so I don't call them mom and dad because <laughs> that's weird. Um, but in, in a lot of ways, they are like parental parent or parental, you know, figures in my life. But um, yeah, just sweet, dear people. And the, the reason I want to pick up on that is just as a reminder to all of us, the role that we can play in the lives of children who aren't necessarily our own. Um, the Lord works in many, many ways through many voices. And I would just encourage you to recognize how the Lord has brought many, many children to our church. And your responsibility extends beyond your own family. And you can speak into and have a huge impact in the lives of other people's children for much, much good. Mike, just talk a little bit about your time at the seminary and how uh, you view that now in light of your ministry. Prior to going to seminary, I when I moved down to Coos Bay, it's four hours from Portland. And at the time I was in uh, going to Multnomah Bible School and trying to finish my undergraduate there. And so when I came on as the youth pastor, I said, I would like to finish the degree. And they said, we want you to and we'll pay for that. And so it required me to drive up to Portland every week, four-hour drive up, sit through class for four hours, and then drive home. Uh, it was a long Monday. Got home on Tuesday, actually. Um, 
and that happened for a year and a half. And it, and I just was so done with school, <laughs> uh, kind of worn out with it, really, and uh, didn't even want, in fact, people said, so you're going to go to seminary now? And I, I just laughed at them and said, no, that's not going to happen. Um, and then I came to Shepherd's Conference in 2012, and the Lord says, time to go to seminary. And I was like, ah. Um, I, was, I didn't want to go at first. Uh, I, I'm not by nature academic. Um, it, it comes harder for me in some ways. But, um, but the Lord made it clear. We, we sold most of the stuff we had and came down to California. And um, it, it just proved to be the greatest treasure um, I just, I, I can't imagine doing ministry without that training. Um, I remember sitting in my office where I'm at now, um, a couple months into my position where I'm at now, and just feeling overwhelmed because, not in a prideful way or an overconfident way, but I just felt equipped. I felt ready to do what I was doing, and I felt like um, I had the tools necessary to shepherd people and to care for their souls. And um, yeah, I remember when I was about 20 years old, I was doing an internship in Minnesota for a season. And I was at a little training seminar there. And the guy that was speaking was, was saying, you know, if Jesus said that there was only three more years until he was going to return, he said, I would still take two years to prepare and I would take one year to minister. And I thought, that's ridiculous. Uh, and looking back now, that, that quote has stuck with me all these years because I realized yeah, training is absolutely necessary. Um, you wouldn't want someone to perform brain surgery who's read a couple books on the topic um, and who likes brains. You, you, you would want someone who has been trained for that and has been equipped to do that, and how much more so with the soul of your life and the eternal part of you. So... Anyway, I, I, I can't imagine doing ministry without the training I received. Uh, Mike, tell us then about your church. We'd love to hear um, what it looks like on a Sunday, uh, even just week to week. Tell us all about the place where you minister. All right. Well, it has changed uh, pretty dramatically over the last couple of years. Uh, when we arrived, it was about 120 people on a good day, uh, sometimes dipping down below 100 on some Sundays. Um, five years before that, six years before that, um, the church was about 50 people, and the association that we're a part of had come in and done an analysis and said, you guys just need to close your doors and be done. Everyone was uh, older, not that older people are bad, um, but but there just didn't seem to be any prospects of the church growing. And uh, they hired a young pastor, and that pastor kind of handed the baton off to me. And at that point, the church was about 115, 120 people. And um, we loved it. We just threw ourselves into it. It was very different than Grace, where there's thousands of people. But um, we absolutely loved it. Um, it felt like I went from the fast lane to a construction zone. In terms of my life, everything slowed way down, but it gave me time to, to focus on my family in new ways. And um, So fast forward a little bit. Uh, our church just continually had been growing, kind of a very manageable growth, maybe 20 people a year, 40 people a year. And then uh, 
in 2019, uh, November of 2019, I received an email, um, and I, it just kind of floored me. It was a, a man that was reaching out to me saying him and his wife are from a cult, nearby cult, and they realize that it's wrong, and they want to follow Christ, but they don't know how to get out of it. Uh, the cult is such that if you even talk to someone like us, a pastor who's been trained for ministry, they will, they've taught you since you were young that you will get an evil spirit, and so it's ruled by fear. And so this was a big step for him to even reach out to me. Um, and we met the next, the next day in my office, and um, it, it was just such a sweet meeting. It went from they were fearful and timid, and like 15 minutes into our conversation, they just started weeping. And I said, why are you crying? And they said, you're just normal, <laughs> which I've never been told. But, um, <laughs> but they were so fearful coming into it that, that I don't know what, that I was going to jump out and bite them, I guess. And um, that opened the door. The Lord just kind of opened the floodgates. We received over the next few months about 50 people from this cult. And um, a couple times I went out to the cult. They meet on Sunday mornings and Thursday nights. And so I took the opportunity on a couple Thursday nights to go out there because they had friends that were still there that weren't willing to come and talk to me. But they said, if he comes to us, then we might talk to them. I said, let's do it. So we went to their, um, not church, whatever it's called, building, and um, had some conversations. Some of those people ended up coming out and so the year of 2020, which was kind of a headache for a lot of people, um, was a glorious year for us. We were baptizing, I, I don't remember what it was, 40 people, I think, um, new converts as adults um, who had grown up in church but didn't know the gospel. And so um, people were coming to our church, grown adults who had gone to church every Sunday and never once heard a sermon until they sat through our service for the first time. Just explain that detail, Mike, yeah. why they never heard a sermon. It's a strange cult. They, they had a leader in the 40s, 50s, and 60s who called himself an apostle. And he apparently, I don't think it's true, he apparently had a vision um, in the, the 60s. Uh, and Jesus came to him in this vision and said, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so now we're just waiting for the return of Christ and no one else can be saved. And uh, so they think that they're the only people in the world who are saved or that can be saved. That church is the only place in the world that, can, that truly has the truth. And you can't join it because all those who are going to be saved are already saved. And so although their kids can be saved, which I think is weird. So this apostle died, so supposed apostle, died in the late 60s, um, and before he had died, he appointed elders. So elders were allowed to teach in the church, but elders couldn't appoint other elders. They needed an apostle for that. And so in 1986, the last elder died, and these people have literally been waiting for God to send them another apostle. So they have no teaching. They meet every Sunday. They sing about seven hymns. Some of them are excellent hymns, hymns that we'd sing. Um, they sing about seven or eight hymns. They pray silently. No one speaks uh, except for the worship or the song leader who kind of says the next song. And then they're done. It's about a 20, 25-minute service, and they do the same thing on Thursday. 
So all of these people that are at our church have been going to church all their lives. And, you know, these are people in their 30s and 40s. They've never heard a sermon. Um, it was just fascinating. But it, they were really good at um, life, just caring for each other. They One of the things, the unique things they believed in this place was that it was a sin to go to the doctor. Um, so they essentially believe that you have to live by faith and therefore it to go to the doctor would be to turn to the world for help and so they let their children die of a bacteria of an infection um, they have their own graveyard because people die so frequently so yeah it's just in fact they've gotten in trouble with the state of oregon the state of oregon changed the legislature because um, they were allowing their children to die and um so some of the parents got thrown in prison and um, that's really what kind of that happened in the early 2000s and that's really what kind of started to divide the church because there were families that thought this doesn't seem right maybe we shouldn't let our children die and so they silently or quietly would would take their kids to the doctor and um, it just kind of started to create rifts and what what i think is god used it to make people start seeking the truth and um yeah so we, our church grew uh, a lot. And then also in 2020, um, maybe you guys heard of COVID. Um, all the churches shut down. Our church did as well for about four weeks. And, um, and then we started doing drive-in church because I could not stand to not be with the saints. And, and it just kind of caught on. And so we did drive-in church for a while, um, be, meaning not that they drive through and get a blessing, but that they parked in the parking lot and I preached from a trailer and um, and we had a service outside. And we did that until the summer and then we just put up some big tents and met outside. And then in, in Oregon, it rains a lot. I don't know if you've been there. Um, so in September, that tent thing wasn't really an option anymore and we made the decision to go back inside. And by then we had grown so much that we had to go to two services because our building didn't wouldn't accommodate uh, everyone in one service. And so we we decided to do the first service masks mandatory because there's some older people that are compromised and they wanted to be able to come to church. And so we said the first service masks are mandatory. The second service masks are optional. Do what you want, but come to church. And um, and I don't know. I don't. I mean, we weren't trying to draw people away from other churches, but um, at the same time, maybe you read in the news Portland was on fire uh, from all the riots, and that that mentality filtered into many of the churches who were just kind of on the edge of liberalism, I think. And um, so the the whole woke ideology, um, Black Lives Matter, all of that started to kind of infiltrate the churches, and uh, people started to feel uncomfortable going to the church they were going to, if they were even having service. And so we're we're kind of out in the middle of nowhere we're not in the city we're out in the country but people started to hear about us and so our church has doubled in size all that to say our church has doubled in size in about two years and um it's it's been wonderful it's been difficult uh we just celebrated 125 years as a church so we have some history and we have people that have been in our church since the 1950s and um, and 
all of those years, our church was never more than a couple hundred people. And it would kind of ebb and flow and go between 50 and 200. And so all of a sudden we're 350 and sometimes pushing 400 and um, people are sitting in my seat. And um, who, are, who is this new guy that's sitting in my seat? You know, those kinds of things. And so I had to gently rebuke some people and say, where would you like them to sit? Um, no, it's, it's just been uh, a, a wonderful experience. Uh, God has been very gracious. And, and really, our church has been uh, very sweet and accommodating, even though it's been challenging at the same time. Change is hard, especially for older churches. And um, yeah, so we're kind of in a similar boat that you guys are in, from what I've heard from your pastor. Um, we're, we're outgrowing our space, and we have to figure out what to do, so... Mike, we didn't get the name of your church. Pleasant Home Community Church. Okay, Pleasant Home in Gresham. It's Okay, here's the thing. When I told some friends when I first was going there, it's Pleasant Home Community Church, they thought it was a retirement center. <laughs> and in some ways it was. But um, <laughs> Pleasant Home was like a, a an area. It used to be kind of a town, and then it got incorporated into the city of Gresham. So it's not really called Pleasant Home anymore. But our church has been there for 125 years, and so... It is called Pleasant Home. It used to be Pleasant Home Baptist Church, and they changed the name back in the 90s because that was a thing to do. So, so we're Pleasant Home Community you're Church. You're just outside Gresham? Technically, we're in Gresham, but you, you wouldn't know that. We're sure. in the country. As you know, you've been there. Gresham, relative to Portland, where is that? We are about halfway between the Portland Airport and Mount Hood. So um, Portland runs into Gresham, and then there's kind of a, a country divide between Sandy, which is a, a standalone town, and then you go into the Mount Hood National Forest. So on a Sunday morning, you have about 350 to 400 yep. people on campus. Do you call it campus? Do you have a campus? Uh, yeah, sure. And you recently, well, not that recent, but you went to two services. And um, can you just unpack for us some of the particular challenges, but especially um, how you've sought to accommodate the growth that you've experienced. Yeah. Um, what was the question? Sorry, I wasn't listening. <laughs> I'm how, asking this to, to help us. Yeah. How, how, how have, have you accommodated that growth? How yeah. have you sought to maintain the rhythms of the church and all of the expressions of ministry with more people, uh, especially thinking through aspects of fellowship even. There's so many more people now. How do you ensure that the fellowship is still as rich and that you're still preserving the unity of the church? Yeah, that was something that was very um, important to us as elders. Uh, we, we'd we received these 50 people from a cult that all knew each other very well. I mean, literally, they had grown up together, and so they knew each other very well. We had the people that were in our church and had been there for a number of years, and they knew each other very well. And then we started getting these pockets of people coming from other churches, you know, 10 people here, 20 people here. And so they kind of knew each other. But um, it was very important to us as elders to make sure that there was kind of cross-pollination, you know. I, I describe it as inserting rebar into the fellowship to make sure that we're all tied together. And so one of the things we decided to do uh, was to create home groups, um, we had had those in the past, but they 
didn't really flourish. And so we thought this is this is the right time to do this. And so what we did was we we had people sign up if they wanted to be interested or if they were interested in being a part of a home group, we encouraged them to be. And then we as elders kind of took that list and prayerfully divided them up based on how many leaders we had to lead those discussions. And then we just kind of created some groups geographically based on where people lived. And the reason we did that, instead of just saying, hey, here's a group, here's a group, here's a group, sign up for the one you want, is because I've seen in the past um, there is a danger of uh, hanging out with the people that you know and you, you feel comfortable with the people that you know. And so naturally you gravitate towards those groups where your friends are at. And we really wanted to create environments where people could get to know other people. And um, we wanted that to be built around who you live next to. So we did that and it, it just thrived. I mean, we have, uh, I was trying to think of the number. I think we have 170 people in home groups on a weekly basis. How many home groups? We have, oh, that's a good question. We have, we added a couple this year. I think we have six or seven, seven home groups maybe. And they meet weekly? Uh, yeah. So most of them meet on Thursday night. Um, one of them has moved to Tuesday night and there's a, two groups of senior saints who meet uh, during the day on either Wednesday or Thursday. So you as elders essentially told people which home group to go to based on geography, where they live, and that was intentional to stop people just gravitating towards those who they like being with, <laughs> but rather just um, kind of force body life in a more in a way that was more representative of church life. Yeah, I, I felt like we felt like that was uh, a helpful way to force people um, to get to know other people. Um, and it's gone really well. I mean, we've made some exceptions, you know, with um, here and there. But, but for the most part, the groups that we assigned them are the groups that they're in. And, and then we even told them every year our intention is to kind of, because we take the summer off, and so every year our intention is to kind of restructure the groups based on growth and based on where people are at and based on how we think it might be good for these people to get to know these people. Part of it was this group of 50 people that had been raised in a cult. We didn't want them all together. That would not be healthy. Um, and so we, we purposely kind of um, spread them out among the groups because they need to be with um, seasoned saints and people that have been walking with Christ for a long time. So. Yeah. And and what are your plans uh, moving forward? You're currently at two services. Do you have options? Are you thinking through other possibilities? Yeah, we uh, we've been kind of in this process for a couple years. Um, we our church is an older building. Um, we we've done a lot of things over the last couple of years to kind of get it back to a healthy place. <laughs> but um, but it would be really difficult to try and add on to our current facility. Um, and get permitting for that. We live in a very liberal <laughs> county, and they're not very conducive to building permits, especially out in the rural county or the rural part of the county where we live. And so we have heard from other churches that they are just they're very difficult to work with, especially for churches. So you know, one of the things that we've talked about for a number of years is if the Lord continues to add to our numbers and give us growth, 
eventually we would like to plant a church. We think that a healthy church makes more churches, uh, kind of discipleship model. And so we would like to see that happen in the future. Um, it's hard to just manufacture that, though. You have to have the right pieces in place. And so we thought that by now we would be doing that, and we're not doing that because we just don't have the pieces. And partly because we've grown so rapidly that uh, it, it would be probably unwise to send people out that don't really know each other. And so, yeah, we went to two services. Um, you know, we have no desire to want to keep adding services. Um I don't know. We, we, <laughs> we're we kind of at a stalemate. We would like to have a bigger building, for sure. Um, you know, if one of you is really loaded and, you know, is blessed this evening uh, by this tremendous Q&A, um, feel free to reach out to me. Um, but this is, this is one of the conversation <laughs> topics that Mike and I have returned to frequently as we call each other every so often and... Uh, and, and the question will be, you know, what, what's going on at your church and what are you guys thinking moving forward? And it just struck me that we both have experienced growth in our respective churches and we both now encounter what are really good problems, uh, good problems to have, but problems nonetheless. And I'm so thankful for this campus. And I explained to you a few months ago really how unique it is, the situation we're in. Uh, Mike's in a slightly different situation where they don't, it doesn't seem have the option of building. And here we are on a campus where most of it is not yet developed and we have that option ahead of us and we just entrust that to the Lord. Mike, how can we pray for you as a church? What would be your aspirations as you look to the ministry of, of Pleasant Home looking forward? Yeah, I mean, pray uh, for wisdom as we, this is kind of a prayer that we pray often at our church and we encourage people to pray that that God would give us wisdom. I was blessed this morning as you're working through the Lord's Prayer, um, just as a reminder. Sometimes as a leader, you feel like you need to kind of be out in front and have some things thought through that that people you can share with people. And I found myself hitting the end of the road in terms of the resources, in terms of uh, what we can do. And um, I was reminded this morning through that passage that the Lord, uh, his kingdom come, that it's his plans, that he will build his church, all of those things that I know to be true. And I just, every once in a while, I have to remind myself that when the time is right, you know, the, the kind of the door will unlock and things will become clear. And until then, we, we just really want to be faithful, like you, right? You just, you want to be faithful. You want to honor the Lord. You want to be salt and light in a dark world and a crooked generation. Um, we have a number of children, probably about 120 children on campus every week. And um, it's been something that we've been very much aware of, that the Lord has given us a tremendous evangelistic opportunity with our children. Um, they don't come to us saved. They're little heathens that um, need Christ. And so uh, we want to evangelize and shepherd and, and move those children towards the gospel. Um, so as we look for ways to do that, and when the time's right, we will we'll know what to do. But um, yeah, until then, just keep remaining faithful. Mike, thanks for giving your time this evening. It's been encouraging just to hear what the Lord's doing somewhere else. One of the things that uh, is remarkable as we share what 
is going on in our churches is just how the Lord keeps doing the same thing over and over again. It's not rocket science. It's in exact accordance with his word. And I think in many respects, uh, Pleasant Home looks like Bethany Bible Church and vice versa, and that's exactly how it should be. And, uh, and we know the Lord's blessing as we're close to his word, and we can be encouraged by that. In a minute, I want to ask you if you would pray for us. I'd love to pray for Pleasant Home, and maybe if you could then pray for us. But before we do that, can we just show our appreciation to Mike and his family? So, Mike, let me uh, pray. We'll enter into prayer now for your church and the saints there. And when I wrap up, if you wouldn't mind closing us out in prayer. Father, we give you thanks for this time this evening. We give you thanks for Mike and Katie and their children. What a blessing their family have been to us. We're grateful for that gift. We thank you for Pleasant Home and the work that you're doing there. We are in awe of the, the way in which you've grown that church. Father, I want to pray especially tonight for those dear saints who have come out of the cult we praise you for your work in their lives, that you opened up their eyes to the truth. You gave them that spirit of courage to walk away and to embrace a faithful, Bible-based local church. Father, we pray that you grow them strong, grow them strong in their knowledge of the truth and of your Son. Would you continue to bless Mike's ministry? Please sustain him through all of the various trials and hardships and labors uh, that it is to lead. And I ask that you would give him great joy in the ministry. We do pray that you'd give Mike and the elders their wisdom as they think through the reality of church growth and not much space left. We pray that their desire to plant churches would be established by you, that more churches would be put on the map uh, from them, and that that would be a testimony to the glory of the gospel and the work that you continue to do as we wait for Christ. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Father, we praise you for your kindness to us, that you've called us out of darkness, and that you've blessed us with adoption into your family. We praise you, Lord, for... Um, the sonship that we have received in Christ. And we praise you for the, the, the wonderful privilege of being a part of a fellowship of brothers and sisters here in this life who can encourage us, who can spur us on, who can come alongside of us. And we just ask, God, that you would be continuing to bless Bethany Bible Church, that you would um, continue to watch over them, give them wisdom as they also have to make decisions and move forward. Um, we pray for your kindness and your blessings to continue to, uh, to be upon them. And Father, we thank you for this evening, that we can be together as a church, that we can bless your name, that we can sing your praises. And we pray, Father, for others, that they would uh, enter into the blessing of being together on Sunday evenings. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.